But the thing that will transcend all of this and will be there consistently for them, even when we are not there next to them, is their confidence, their sense of self, their grounding and solid belief in who they are, what they need, their strengths, how to ask for help, how to help themselves, all of it. We are building those skills now by being respectful of their wiring and by meeting them where they're at and showing them that it's okay to need help or to not feel ready or feel afraid. Welcome to the Sensory Wise Solutions Podcast for Parents, where parents can get real, actionable strategies to support kids with sensory processing disorder. I'm Laura, OT and mom to Liliana, a sensory sensitive kid who inherited my anxiety and my love for all things Disney. Consider me your new OT mom bestie. I know my stuff, but I also know what it's really like in the trenches of parenting a child with sensory processing disorder. Okay, mom, enough about me. Let's start the podcast. Hello, 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 hello. Welcome back to the podcast. This week, we are talking about self-confidence slash self-esteem. And by the way, they're actually two different things, which I learned for the first time recently. And how those things, both of those, can be impacted in children who have sensory processing disorder. And this concept was brought to light in one of my favorite books. It's called The Out of Sync Child. The author is Carol Kranowitz. If you haven't read it yet and you want to learn more about SPD in a very, very easy to understand way, but like have a lot of new information, this is the book for you. This is always on my list of like top books to recommend to parents who are just starting their journey. So if you have a child who has ADHD or anxiety or is autistic and they have some sensory challenges, this book really helps explain sensory in a simple way. Um, Or if you have a child who doesn't have a diagnosis, but you know that they have some sensory issues, this book is just it's, it's a great book to understand sensory. She's not an OT. I believe Carol Kranowitz is um, a teacher, an educator, um, but she, it's recommended and used by so many OTs and um, highly recommend. Anyway, one of the post-it notes that I have that's all crinkled up and well-loved because I refer to this book all the time. Um, It's a quote from page 28, and Carol says, low self-esteem is one of the most telling symptoms of sensory processing disorder. And this is in the section of the book where she talks about all the social and emotional challenges that are often associated with sensory processing disorder. Now, if you're new here, or maybe you're not new here, but you hear me say this a lot, sensory processing disorder is technically not a disorder on its own. Head back to episode five if you want to hear me um, unpack all of that, because technically it's not its own diagnosis, yet all of us in the field and people who understand neurodivergent individuals knows knows that it does exist. It's just, it's not in the DSM. But anyway... Um, that's the quote from Carol, and that's where this podcast episode is really stemming from because I hear a lot of parents after they read that book, they always ask me, can you tell me more of that? Because Carol kind of just like says that in a paragraph about how social emotional challenges can come out in kids who have sensory processing disorder, but she doesn't really go more into it. So 
But a lot of parents like hear that and I share that a lot with parents and they're like, that's that's right. I feel like my child has low self-esteem. So today in this episode, I want to talk about that and call to light some of the reasons why I think that this is the case, why this is such a hallmark feature of kids with SPD. Um, It's going to be based off of my personal experience as a parent to a child with sensory needs and also as a clinician who's worked with hundreds of kids over the past seven years now. I can't believe I've been a therapist for seven years. Um, At the end of the episode, I will leave you with some tips on how you can think about helping your child's self-esteem Um, hint, hint, if you are listening to this before January 27th, then I have the doors open for my sensory wise solutions program, where I will help you build your child's confidence using the just right challenge. So you can learn more about that at the otbutterfly.com slash S W S winter, all one word, because we are opening for the winter cohort. It is not always open for enrollment. I only open it a few times a year. So definitely check that out. But let's get this started. I, like I mentioned earlier, I had to take a deep dive and really learn about what self-esteem was because what I had been thinking about was self-esteem all along was actually self-confidence and there is a difference between the two of them and so I looked that up and was starting to learn about it and I'm going to summarize what I learned from from my research. A lot of it came from add.org. So if you want to learn more, that's a great resource that I went to. So self-confidence is the projection of someone's belief in their own capabilities and skills. So for example, I'm very confident in my ability to talk about neurodiversity and other sensory related things. You could build up confidence by building those skills and knowledge and self-confidence is really what others can see in in your attitude and your outward behavior and the way that you speak and you carry yourself like someone exudes self-confidence, right? Self-esteem is actually pretty different um, and it was fascinating for me to read about. So self-esteem is more internal and it's unspoken and no one can really see someone's self-esteem. So ADD.org says, Self-esteem results from who you are and self-esteem results when you believe in your inherent goodness. So shout out to Dr. Becky, the founder of Good Inside, who she's always trying to remind us to help our kids know that they are good inside and turns out that is related to self-esteem. Doesn't that just hit you right in the feels? It really, when I read that, it was like, oh, that makes so much sense. So I'm not totally sure if when Carol Kronowitz wrote about self-esteem being a key to SPD, if she knew, if she was specifically focusing on self-esteem or if she was also blending self-esteem and self-confidence. But I can see now actually both of those things can be impacted in children who have sensory differences. So the article from ADD.org goes on to talk more about how self-esteem comes from the interactions which you have with people in your environment and how they treat you, which is what impacts how you think about yourself. So this doesn't mean that if your child has low self-esteem, it means that you don't show them enough love, but it does mean that maybe they need to hear it or feel worthy and feel good. Um, in different ways and a little bit more obvious than an average child. 
I also think that this is a big place where teachers and other caregivers can help us build up our children's self-worth. Um, because remember that a lot of kids with SPD um, are often thought of as the misbehaving kids, the ones who are bad, the ones who can't control their impulses, the ones who lash out, the ones who are aggressive, the ones who are hyperactive. Um, all of those things, all of those behaviors, though, are stemming from sensory needs, but are labeled as the kid who makes bad choices or the bad kid. And even without a teacher or a caregiver really saying, oh, you're such a bad kid, which, you know, some some adults still say that. But even without saying that, I think we can assume that with enough timeouts or punishments or call homes or clips moving down the chart, um, bad behavior marks, all of that can really add up for a child and potentially impact their self-esteem and feeling that negative interaction from those caregivers might impact how they feel about themselves, their internal self-worth, their self-esteem. Now for self-confidence, I feel like this is a little bit more tangible and easier to see. So I could see this impacted in sensory kids, especially around daily tasks or activities that become too hard for them. Um, Anything from like getting dressed to feeding themselves to writing their name or climbing the playground structure. Kids with sensory processing challenges often have associated motor delays or challenges and or their sensory processing challenges can prohibit them from participating and enjoying parts of daily life that can seem easier and more fluid for neurotypical kids. Then it follows that with something that's hard for them, they might avoid it and or they participate less in those tasks, then they get less practice. And so then they don't get the chance to build those skills and then it becomes harder to build self-confidence. I also think that there's a big part impacting self-confidence when we think about how many times we, and by we I mean people that are not the neurodivergent individual, when we question the neurodivergent person's emotions or sensations. I'm definitely not innocent here. I do these things too sometimes, but I'm thinking about times when like, I question my daughter's hunger cues or bathroom cues or body temperature or feelings like I'd say, you know, how are you full? You barely ate or it's so it's it's so cold. You must be freezing. Put on a jacket. All of those things where I am projecting my own sensations um, onto her and trying to get her to override what she's actually experiencing it's so easy because again, I'm I'm innocent. I'm not in. I'm not innocent in this. I do that too. So it's so easy to slip into those phrases as an adult, as a caregiver who has an agenda to try to get through the next thing and to keep your kids safe, to follow social norms that mean maybe more to us than it does to our kids. But over time, that message, um, that message that we're sending to kids is, I know your body better than you. And I don't know if about you, but that makes me feel like that would definitely impact both self-confidence, like confidence that you know your own body, and self-esteem. So all of this is really the main reason why I love using the Just Right Challenge 
so much in my therapy practice and of course at home with Liliana. If you're not familiar with it, the Just Right Challenge is basically a way to break down each task or environment or activity into smaller, more accomplishable tasks. So I like to think of it as when there's a huge project or something that you have to do at home, something you got to take care of, maybe it's an insurance thing. Oh, I hate that when I hear insurance, I cringe. There's something with a lot of paperwork and a lot of steps to do, but you have just the main goal written down on your to-do list and you feel overwhelmed, paralyzed, don't even want to start it. Maybe it could even be like taking down the Christmas decorations. Um, And instead of just staring at that on your to-do list or ruminating on that in your head, like, oh, I got to get that done. I got to get that done. You could break it down into like 10 or 12 mini tasks. So it feels really satisfying to cross them off. I literally write down things on my to-do list um, in like 10 little increments so that I can just have the satisfaction of crossing them off. If you're like that too, let me know. But so you break them down so that not only do you have the satisfaction of feeling accomplished, like you can cross them off and feel like you're making progress, but also so that you can just get started and not feel so paralyzed by the daunting, huge tasks that you have written down. So you can do this for almost any task or challenge or environment that your child needs support in. So an example I always use is food for any selective or picky eaters out there. I know many of you have kids who have sensory sensitivities that impact the variety of food that they eat. So let's say your family eats rice almost at every meal at least three to five times a week. And maybe it's one of the foods that your child will not even tolerate on their plate. If they see you put it on their plate, they automatically push it away, throw it. Maybe they gag, maybe they run away, you name it. You've tried bribing, you've tried the one bite rule, you've tried all of it, but your kid is not really not really having it, nothing consistent is happening. If your only goal and your child knows that your only goal is for them to chew and swallow spoonfuls of rice, and right now, today, in this moment, currently your child is running away from the table when they see rice, well, you're kind of setting both of yourselves up for failure if, if your one main goal is to get them to, to eat spoonfuls of rice. But what if your only goal was for them to be able to sit at the table with a few grains of rice in a separate mini bowl next to their plate? That might feel more doable to you and to your child. Now, of course, After that, maybe the next time you want to move a little bit closer to that because, you know, at the end of the day, if we have a picky eater, our end goal is not for them to sit next to the rice. We do want it to improve maybe their nutrition or the variety of food that they eat. So maybe after that a few times, now they're not running away from rice. Maybe now they can have a few grains of rice on their plate, but in like a separate section, like in a bento box. Um but they're still not forced to eat it. Eventually that feels less scary to them and then maybe they can work up to maybe touching the grains of rice. Maybe they could make a letter L of the, for the first letter of their name on the plate. Um, the point of this is, is that you are meeting them where they're at and not saying, hey, sit down at the table, try this big spoonful of rice. Try it, you might like it. Come on, you can do it. If you do this, I'll give you a piece of candy. It's a lot of things that feel way too far out of reach for them. 
Again, this is just a very quick example. There's way more nuance. There's way more details and complexities to helping your selective eater. There is a module of this in my Sensory Wise Solutions program if you have a picky eater. Um, So this is a very simplified, watered-down version just so that I can explain what the Just Right Challenge is for you. But each time they successfully pass that new level and accomplish a new goal, no matter how small it is, you're adding... experiences of success for your child. It's building their self-confidence and hopefully eventually their self-esteem. And that's the goal. That is the real, real goal. Not to just get them to eat rice. I mean, yes, that too. But the real goal is to build their self-confidence and self-esteem so that they know that they can do hard things. So that they know that they don't have to avoid things that feel too hard for them. That is the just right challenge. And it's a really great way to support neurodivergent kids where they're at while still building skills at a slow and steady, not too overwhelming rate. That's where it all comes full circle in my work as a trained OT who coaches parents in using gentle parenting techniques and conscious discipline strategies. No matter what your main quote complaint is or what you're working on for your child, Maybe you want them to eat more veggies, wanting them to sit still at school, wanting them to get through the bath, wanting them to play nicely with their siblings, wanting them to make friends at school. At the end of it all, our big picture goal for our kids are all the same. We need them to be confident beings with a good sense of their self. Because there's always going to be that question of, oh, well, what are they going to do in the real world if I accommodate them now and don't? And if I don't make them do X, Y, Z now, then they'll never learn or be able to function in the real world. Or I won't always be there for them to make something easier for them to do it for them. So I better get them used to it now. You're right. You're not always going to be there for them. But the thing that will transcend all of this and will be there consistently for them, even when we are not there next to them, is their confidence, their sense of self, their grounding and solid belief in who they are, what they need, their strengths, how to ask for help, how to help themselves, all of it. We are building those skills now by being respectful of their wiring and by meeting them where they're at and showing them that it's okay to need help or to not feel ready or feel afraid. You could even use the Just Right Challenge for other things that aren't so black and white or easy to break down like food. Um, Like if maybe you have a child who feels overwhelmed by joining in soccer practice, even though you signed them up for it and they wanted to do it, you show up on soccer practice day and they're like, I can't join that. I can't do it. Maybe the Just Right Challenge is them sitting with you for the first 15 minutes, maybe for the whole practice. Maybe the Just Right Challenge is them being the coach's helper and they get to help set up the cones or pass out the soccer balls. Really, the Just Right Challenge just means meeting your kids where they're at and not expecting them to perform at three levels above where they're currently at. Meeting them where they're at means that you expect them to give it their best, their very, 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 very best effort. And then whatever the gap is that's left between their best effort and the needed output for them to be successful is up to you to help accommodate, to help make it easier, to help adjust the task, etc. 
I hope all of that makes sense and I hope you're walking away with this from a better with a better understanding of maybe why your neurodivergent child feels to have a lack of self-confidence or a lack of self-esteem and I hope you feel clearer in how you can help support them which is really meeting them where they're at. So this is the end of the episode. This is a reminder though, if you have a child who has sensory sensitivities, maybe they have a hard time wearing new clothes, if they're sensitive to sound or really busy environments and have big meltdowns about that, if they are a selective eater, if they have a hard time touching textures or getting their hands messy, if they have a really hard time with sensitivities related to hygiene, like taking a bath, washing their hair, brushing their teeth, cutting their nails, any of that, and you want to help build their self-confidence around that and help them feel regulated, check in with the Sensory Wise Solutions cohort. This could be for you. We're open for enrollment right now for the winter 2023 cohort. You can find out more at theotbutterfly.com slash SWS winter. Alrighty, I will see you next week. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider rating it and leaving a review, which helps other parents find me as well. Want to learn more from me? I share tons more over on Instagram at the OT Butterfly. See you next time.